Morning, Redeemer King. Andy Kindle, one word here from the church. And this morning's talk is called While the Cat's Away. And it's my final talk on Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 1 to 14. And I felt a little bit emotional um, preparing it because this has been our lockdown book. As a church, it's one of the things that we've been able to hold in common throughout the entire lockdown. I haven't seen lots of you, most of you, in fact, for about seven months, but we've had this thing at our centre and so much of what we've read about and learned about in Nehemiah has been relevant to our to our situation during this pandemic and today I think there'll be stuff that we can draw out that you will find uh, relevant and hopefully as always it will be challenging it will be encouraging so uh, by the end of this and by the end of next week when we finished Nehemiah or start of October rather after the bonanza you will feel as though we've got a good hold of what Nehemiah is about and it will really strengthen us individually and as a community to push into this next season and of course Nehemiah what we've learned about Nehemiah the person is that he was a strong leader he was a strong leader who didn't compromise on his faith on following God he was willing to take the lead he was willing to persevere and to take a stand when things got really difficult and he wasn't mastered by complexity wasn't mastered by difficulty he he was never overwhelmed though he was surrounded on all sides he was not crushed as Paul talks about in 2nd Corinthians and again that's really I think poignant for us because we do feel surrounded a lot of us feel surrounded but not necessarily by problems but by loneliness surrounded on all sides by nothing and, and, and nobody which is a weird situation to to be in we, we do feel um, knocked down but because of the gospel we don't have to be crushed and we've seen that in Nehemiah and we'll talk more about about that later so what's going on in this in this passage is that basically Nehemiah has gone away for a bit he's gone back to Artaxerxes who he was with at the start it was his permission that he got to come to Jerusalem in the first place and he comes back and he finds everything is in disarray everything's in disarray his final words at the end of this passage are do not forget my good deeds God essentially don't let this be in vain don't let this all have been for nothing and, you know, we've taken a long time to go through Nehemiah, but it was even longer for him. And he goes away for a bit. You go away for one minute and you come back and it's all been um, seemingly for nothing. And so that's the big question of this. What do you do when things seem to have fallen apart around you, even after so much work? So let's just go. Let's go through it. The good news is that it turns out it hasn't been for nothing and, and, and neither, neither are your works, neither are your deeds. So, verse 1, let me read it, verse 1. At that time, the book of Moses was read publicly to the people. And again, it's a reminder that we give a lot, but we need to be engaged with the word of God. That can be reading it, it can be listening to it, it can be chatting with others about it and, and sharing encouragement from God's word. But actually, if you think about the fact that we are not neutral we are all sponges. We're all absorbing ideas and mindsets and ideologies. And we will get swept away by those unless we have a firm foundation. We have to treat God's word as a firm foundation. We have to be engaged with it. It isn't enough 
to believe in God. It isn't enough to think, oh, I sort of know what the Bible talks about. It's all about love, isn't it, really? Actually, there's specific things for our situations as we go through our days that um, will just keep us grounded in that. So it says in Psalm 119, the entrance of your words gives light. The entrance of your words gives light. As we engage with God's word, as we engage with him, light will be shed on our situations, on our darkness, and um, God will just illuminate stuff for us as we engage with his word. But unless we are engaged with that, we're not going to we're not going to be influenced by God and we will be influenced by other things. So this is what's happening. They're opening the book of Moses. They're reading it publicly. So they're engaged with the word of God. It's their ballast. It's their foundation. It's their fortress. Um, number three. Verse three, not number three. Point three. When they heard the law, they separated all those of mixed descent. So they've read in the law of Moses that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. So they've separated themselves from these other tribes. Now, we've got to be really careful about this to understand things properly. This is not about race. This is not about color of skin. This is about ideology. You see, the Moabites and the Ammonites... They, they were enemies as a tribe, as an ideology. They were enemies of God's people and they didn't help them at all. And what God is saying here to these people is you need to be pure for me. You need to be, you're my bride and no one else gets you. No one else gets to have you because I, I am your husband. It's about ideology and it's the same for us, you see. We need to make sure that we love everybody, that we show respect to everybody, that we listen to everybody. But we need to not get carried away with whatever new, fresh idea is being propagated throughout society. You can't mix and match when it comes to ideologies. You cannot serve two masters because you'll love one and hate the other. For instance, you can't you can't believe in um, Christian marriage and adultery as both good things. You can't believe in um, in a family unit and also child sacrifice. And so there's what's going on here is God's saying, look, no, this is about ideology. You need to stay with me because I've got plans for you. You know, the next thing that's going to happen is that I'm going to send my son and I need to have a firm foundation for that to happen on. We do not need to confuse things with foreign ideologies, alien ideologies. So it's about ideology, it's about idea, it's about worldview. Don't mix your worldview. Don't mix and match and have a kind of composite worldview that makes you feel comfortable or happy. Being a Christian is hard. Following Jesus is hard, but it is for your best. And I don't just mean that in a strict if you know what's good for you. But honestly, if you, know, if you know what's good for you, if you want to know what's best, like the ultimate life for you, it, it comes through following Jesus. So um, they separated all those of mixed descent. God loves everybody, but he doesn't love every idea. Then chapter six, not chapter six. Come on, Andy. Verse six. I've either had too much coffee or not enough coffee. Verse six. Nehemiah comes back. And realizes that everything's in disarray. Uh, Eliashib, the priest, 
has who'd been put in charge of the temple has given Tobiah basically an office in the temple. Now this office, this uh, this room had been used for storing the grain offerings and the frankincense and the articles and the new wine and the oil for the Levites. So basically the provisions for the people had been cleared out and Tobiah had been given office space in in the temple. Now, do you remember Tobiah? Tobiah has basically been nagging and pestering Nehemiah the whole way through. He's been a constant enemy and he's clearly waited for Nehemiah to go so that he can once again try and destroy his plans. There's nothing more dangerous than an enemy that doesn't know it's beaten. And this is a this is a this is a warning to us to be ever watchful, ever vigilant. After so long, Nehemiah has achieved so much and he goes away for one minute and he comes back and the, the, the enemy has come back. The enemy is still there prowling around like a lion trying to ruin the good deeds, which is why at the end he says, don't let this be for nothing. Um, and you, you do have to ask yourself, what, how has this happened? How is he? How is the priest? How has Eliashib allowed this to happen? How could he possibly give this room over to Tobiah? This is exactly the stuff that got them in this mess in the first place. You can imagine Nehemiah saying this. I've come back. You know the stuff that we've just spent ages and ages rectifying. You're now doing the stuff that got us into this mess in the first place. You know another fine mess you've got us into. To quote uh, Laurel and Hardy. So he comes back and he wants to know what's happened. And we've got to be ever vigilant. Tobiah has been an enemy and it doesn't matter what Nehemiah's been doing. Tobiah has the mindset that he want, you know, he wants to he wants to tear down. He wants to tear down and he's not going to stop doing that. And um, the reality is that you do have a a spiritual enemy. Whatever name you want to put on it, you do have a spiritual enemy. And the attacks of the enemy tend not to come like a tsunami. Because that's too obvious. Enemy attacks against you don't come like a tsunami. They come like the gentle lapping of waves on a beach. Just gently. The tide comes in gently and before you know it, you're submerged. And so what Nehemiah does is show no compromise whatsoever. He deals with this swiftly. And it's the same with us. We need to, instead of, if you know that the enemy's trying to drown you, you don't lie on the seafront. You don't hang out on the beach. You get inland. You get inland. So in, um, in verse 8, Nehemiah says, I threw all of Tobias' possessions out of the room. No compromise. No mercy. The laws are clear and the consequences are also clear. Choices have consequences. They knew exactly what they were doing and there has to be a consequence. There's no discussion, no weighing up the options. He throws everything out. Is there stuff in your life that needs to go now? Is there, is there, are there things in your life that need to go now? Because there is an enemy who's constantly wanting to attack you, even when you think you're safe. I was thinking about the, um, 
the, re the book All Quiet on the Western Front, which is an amazing novel, and there's a film version with starring Ernest Borgnine and Richard Thomas, I think. And it's about this German soldier in the First World War, and he goes through the entire war, and he sees his mates being killed, but he, he holds firm, he digs in, and he survives, and it's great. And then in the film, in the film, slightly different in the book, but in the film version, the final scene is spring comes, and armistice is nearly there. The end of the war is, is basically announced. And he sees this bird in the tree. He hasn't seen a bird for ages because he's been in the trenches. And he lifts his head up to see the bird and he gets shot in the head and he's killed. It, it's, a bit, it's a bit like this. We've got to be ever watchful, ever vigilant. We can never rest on our laurels. We can always rest in God. We can always get something to drink from the eternal fountain of, of love. But we can never rest on our own laurels. We can never think that we're not in a war and if you are in a war then there's certain weapons that will help you and there's certain things that you don't want to carry and so the question is do you need to get rid of some stuff now are there habits or behaviors in your life that you need to stop doing now that you need to change now have you noticed that your language has changed to become more aggressive or more coarse so it's the first thing you do when you, you get in to put on Netflix or to put on a computer game. Um, are, you, are you struggling with something that you know you're struggling with and you know it's a problem? Have you become really negative? Do you instantly find fault with, with people and things? Are there, is there stuff in your life? There is for me. Is there stuff in your life that needs to go now? I've got rid of my TV because I realised that during lockdown when I was bored, I was just going to watch TV, but then it became my comfort, it became my go-to. So I get up in the morning and rather than kind of spending time reading God's Word and, 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 and praying or checking on people from Redeemer King, I was watching Modern Family or something. I've had to get rid of my TV. I don't like it because I'm still bored, but actually it frees me up to do other stuff. To focus on what is important so that's the question is there stuff that needs to go now in the early salvation army um i don't know whether it was william booth but what the early salvation army officers were told to tell people they were leading to the lord and bear in mind they were dealing with people um very poor um alcoholics and things like that, people in desperate situations, they were told to respond uniformly. So if someone said, do I need to give this up to follow Jesus? The answer was yes. <laughs> do, I, do I need to give this up to follow Jesus? Yes, you do. Whatever it was. And the moral of the story is, I, I don't know that we would quite need to be that strict, but the moral of the story is, if you suspect that something is stopping you from following Jesus it probably is if you think there's something in your life that might be keeping you from the throne room or, in, or from God's word or from believing the good things he says about you then that's probably true and so get rid of it get rid of it now this is what Nehemiah does he doesn't he doesn't have a he doesn't call a Wittengamot. He doesn't call a meeting. He doesn't meet up with Tobiah over coffee and say, hey, I'm a little bit... No, get out. Get out. Um, 
So that happens. But then it's not just about getting rid of something. You've got to fill what's just been emptied. In Matthew 12, let me read you from Matthew 12. Um, An unclean spirit's return. When an unclean spirit comes out of a man, it roams through waterless places looking for rest but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. And when it arrives, it finds the house vacant, swept and put in order. Then off it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and settle down there. As a result, the man's condition is worse than the first. The point is that... I always say the point is, but I have got lots of points to make. The point is that not doing something is pointless if you don't replace that action with something better. Trying to resist addiction without an overriding positive passion will see you go back to an even worse addiction. Cleaning your house and then filling it with sawdust or letting it get built up with muck again without the proper cleaning products is a waste of time. So it's about what we do. You know, I've got rid of my TV. And so I'm specifically now, when I get up in the morning, trying to just pray, read the Bible, or read some apologetics or philosophy or something like that, to fill my mind with good things, to focus on whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. And that's a lesson for all of us. It might be a lesson for all of us. When you get rid of a bad habit, you've actually got to replace it with a, with a good habit. You need that long obedience in the same direction. We become our choices, don't we? We become, we become what we behold. Uh, it's been brilliant to see uh, Teresa Cousins on Strava, building up and building up. And you know, when she started out, she was doing a couple of kilometres and now she's doing 5K and she's loving it and she's enjoying it. You've got to build up that endurance. And that's why being Christian is hard. It's about endurance. It's not the X factor where you just get picked up. Oh, it's you. You're a Christian now. It's a journey and you've got to build endurance. Um, right at the end, it's quite a short talk this, but I've got a few key points to make now. Right at the end, Nehemiah says, uh, God, do not, do not forget my good deeds. Do not forget my good deeds. Remember me, O oh God. Don't let all of this be in vain. Let this count. Please don't let this be wasted and ruined. And you can really feel, I can really feel the pain because, you know, we've been with him for seven months and he's done so well and he's built and built. And now it seems to have come crashing down. But what Nehemiah doesn't do is he doesn't feel sorry for himself. He says, okay, this is what we need to do. Get rid of this guy, clear this out. Put things right. Pure, he says, purify it. We need to purify this place. And then he says, Lord, don't let this be in vain. The good news is that it's not. Because the next thing that happens historically after this chapter is Jesus. The Gospels. And in Mark's Gospel, which is the earliest Gospel, the first lines of that talk about John the Baptist, the voice of one 
crying in the wilderness. And Nehemiah never saw that in his lifetime. It was, you know, hundreds of years. But Nehemiah, the last thing really that's said in the Old Testament is, historically, is Nehemiah saying, don't let all this be in vain. And then the voice of one crying in the wilderness, saying that God's kingdom has come. God is with us, Emmanuel. He has come. So Nehemiah's work wasn't in vain, even if he didn't see it fulfilled. Like he was up in the heavenlies seeing it, but he didn't see it with his physical eyes, but it wasn't in vain. Sometimes the good news starts in the wilderness. Often the good news starts in the wilderness. The good news starts where we end. The good news begins where you end. When you get to the point where you say, I can't do this anymore. When you cry out to God. Nehemiah said, look, I can't, look, all of my work has, has fallen. You need to do something. And God says, okay, you've done the right thing, I'll send Jesus. It's the same for us. You've done your best and you've failed. So what? You've got Jesus. And we've got the cross, which we can keep coming back to. Nehemiah models something for us, but it's even better for us. You know, it's all gone wrong. There's been terrible sin, so purify it. We fall. We are, we are terrible at times. We get things wrong. We try to be performance-based rather than grace-based. And so Jesus says, come to the cross, and it's done. Just come and come into my presence where there's fullness of joy, and you'll be purified. Just make that turn every day. His mercies are new each morning. Just keep coming to him. I did a, um, oh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah, the name, means comforter of God. Comforter of God. And in the New Testament, Jesus talks of a comforter of God, who's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does a lot of the stuff that Nehemiah models in the Old Testament. He builds, he comforts. He calls out, he casts out, and he purifies. It's okay to fail. It's more than okay to fail. Because you're not strong. I said this earlier in lockdown when we were talking about early chapters of Nehemiah. You are not as strong as you think. You're not stronger than you think. You're just as weak as you fear. Probably weaker. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness do you feel weak good that's the right answer because it's at that point that you say don't let this be in vain i'm trying don't let this be in vain and jesus says okay fine come to the cross i won't let it be in vain because i'm here i'm with you and i'll never leave you and i'll never forsake you you've got the comforter the people of israel had nehemiah as their comforter who went away and came back but we've got the holy spirit who never leaves us. But we've got to choose to be comforted by God and not by Netflix, not by an Xbox, not by overeating, not by overdrinking. We will find modicums of comfort, but they will not last. But the comfort of the Holy Spirit is eternal. It's infinite and it's eternal. And you can experience it now. We just need to really do our part. So it wasn't in vain. Um, 
I did a gig last night, nearly finished now. I did a gig last night, Saturday morning as I'm recording this. And um, it was great. It was outside, it was really weird. It was like the set of The Wicker Man, but it was great. And I, I've had seven months without gigs, and so this whole, you know, the, the, the chemicals in my body were playing up and um, adrenaline all over the place. And then I, I woke up this morning and I just lay there in my bed, just looking at the ceiling and thinking, well, what's this for? What's all it for? What, what was that for? What am I going to do now? When, it, when are things going to improve? Not me as a comedian, but I just felt that real sense of, of, of loneliness, actually. Having had the adulation and the adrenaline to now suddenly be on my own and just feeling quite surrounded by nothing, as I said earlier. Chemically, I'd gone up and then I, and then I was down. And there's been times during lockdown where I've just wanted to go home. And I don't mean back to my flat here. I mean home to my mum and dad. Like a child. There's been times during lockdown where I just thought, I, I, want, I can't cope. I can't do any of this. And I don't want to. I want to go home. I want to let my dad give me a glass of wine and a steak. And I want my mum to cuddle me and tell me everything's going to be okay. And... I don't say that self-pityingly. The, the, the point is that feeling sad, feeling lonely, feeling broken is, is good. But we have a choice. Even when we are feeling sad, we have a choice. J. Hudson Taylor, who was an amazing um, Christian missionary to China, one of, the, one of the major reasons there's so many Christians in China was this guy, J. Hudson Taylor. He said, all God's giants have been weak people who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. All God's giants have been weak people who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. And he also said, when I can't read, when I can't think, when I can't even pray, I can trust. You remember Carl told, told, told tells, Carl tells that story of when he was early in ministry and he was planning a church in London on a council estate and was saying to God, I'm rubbish at this. I'm rubbish. And he felt the Lord say, yeah, but I love you. That's the message. Yes, you're a failure. So what? So what? He loves you and he's with you. And you're weak, but you can do great things by reckoning that he's with you. I was driving back from the gig last night. I, I was quite relieved it had gone so well. And um, I was praying on the way back. I said, oh, Lord, thanks. I was, quite, I was quite surprised at how well that went. And I, I felt the Lord say to me, yeah, but you weren't the only one up there. We are not on our own. We're not on our own. Because we have God with us. And sometimes we just need to open the window to him, open the door to him and let him in. Feeling sad is great. Feeling sorry for ourselves and self-pitying isn't good because also, you know, the world out there that needs to hear the hope of the gospel. But we need to, we need to be partnering with it ourselves. And so it's just an encouragement that it's not in vain. God uses everything and he wastes nothing. And there probably are things in our lives that we need to get rid of now. And it might be self-pity. It might be self-pity. It might be negativity. Whatever it is, 
but it's okay because we just nail it to the cross and we get purified by the Holy Spirit and we go again and we speak hope and peace and truth and we clear out the stuff that shouldn't have been in there and we allow God's Holy Spirit in. We get gratitude and peace and joy and love and freedom and then we can speak that into our society because at some point we're going to have to be mobilised as a church to really impact this town. It's not a joke and it's not a game. But we need the Lord. We need community, community with God, but also community with one another. So as a final encouragement, we'd love to encourage you as a leadership just to, to really spend time with as many different people from Arcade as you can. Go for a walk with somebody. Have somebody around for a, a socially distanced dinner if you can. Keep it legal. Keep it within guidelines. Meet up for coffee. Speak to someone on the phone. Not just people you speak to all the time, but maybe someone you haven't seen in seven months. Bless somebody with a financial gift. Send someone a, a present. Offer to mow someone's lawn. We need to build this sense of community. Rebuild it. We've all had to lock down and we've all been in survival mode, but it's time to stop being survivalists and time to start being revivalists because people are dying to hear the gospel. We need to preach to ourselves first. We need to come together as a church and then we need to flood out. The wall is built. We're saying, Lord, don't let any of this be in vain. You say, I'm not going to let that be in vain. I'm coming. I'm coming. Are you coming with me? And you know, God the Father has Jesus and the Holy Spirit constantly in community. You don't have to be on your own. So be encouraged. Be moved. Let's reflect on Nehemiah. What a book. What a guy. All God's giants have been weak people who did great things for him because they reckon his being with them. Amen.